Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Scientists have for a long time assumed waterfalls form due to tectonic movement or glacier activity. But now researchers have learned there may be another explanation. Coming up, we'll talk with a scientist about a study that's shifting the thinking behind what makes a waterfall. Also, June 1st and 2nd is Connecticut Trails Day. We'll learn more about the system of trails that crisscross the state and where you should take a hike safely. First, you don't have to go to Niagara Falls to see one of the wonders of the natural world. Waterfalls are throughout our state. Do you know where to look? Don't worry, we have uh, Peter Martika as a guide. He's the nature columnist for the Hartford Current, and he's in studio with us to talk about some waterfalls in our backyard. And you can join our conversation, too, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Peter, welcome to our show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I was telling our producer, Scott Breedy, that I think you might have the best job in our state. You get to spend time outside exploring Connecticut and then writing about it. It is a fun job. Um, kind of uh, nice when people tell you to take a hike and <laughs> it's not negative. So, um, no, I've been doing this for um, 21 years now. Started in uh, 1997. Uh, kind of just uh, did a column for The Current called Ask the Current, where I answered a local question. Uh, people would call in and say, or write in and say, you know, this is such and such foundation on this river. Can you tell me more about the history? So it kind of just evolved into a, well, that'd be kind of neat to explore. And, you know, and it kind of evolved into a, in a, into a column. And that's what I've been doing for the past 21 years mm-hmm. with uh, waterfalls as a key focus. Now, have you always been an outdoors person? I have been. Um, growing up in Portland, um, my dad wrote a mushroom book, so he'd always take us out looking for edible mushrooms. And um, I, of course, wanted nothing to do with that. <laughs> and I would uh, go down and explore. Uh, we used to go to Cobalt section of East, Ham- East Hampton, and I'd go off exploring the, you know, the brooks and the old mine shafts and foundations in the woods. So that's kind of how I came up with my love of uh, the outdoors and history, local history. So So you've traveled around the state and written about uh, more than a dozen waterfalls. Uh, There's Kent Falls, Chapman Falls, Enders Falls. We're going to talk about some of them. You once uh, christened, I believe, Enders Falls in Granby as the king of the state waterfalls. Have you you changed your mind since then, Peter? I have uh, christened uh, quite a few uh, (laughs) waterfalls as the king of the king of the Connecticut waterfalls. Um, But Enders Falls is one of the definitely one of the top waterfalls in the state. Um, it's up in Granby, and uh, just a beautiful uh, section of waterfalls. There's five distinct waterfalls within a quarter of a mile of each other, so it's kind of nice. You just pull into the parking lot and go down, go down the trail, and um, each each waterfall is di- very distinctive, and um, you know from horsetails to plunges, and it's it's just a, a beautiful spot. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but over the years, um, I've come to discover Great Falls in the uh, Falls Village section of Canaan. And And, and where is Canaan exactly when you look at a map of Connecticut? Yes. Canaan is northwest corner, almost to the New York border. And it was, uh, they call it the Niagara of New England. It's just this stunning, huge waterfall. Definitely the best time to see it is in the winter or the early spring when the water is going over um, 
I say that because it's also part of a hydroelectric facility. So the, it's a da- it's a dammed dammed part of the who's who's tonic, and in the summertime, in late spring summertime, it's the water all the diverted into uh, the hydroelectric plant. But I'm, I've been into the, to the falls in the in deep winter when it's totally frozen over and it's just spectacular. Just this huge, seventy foot high waterfall and that's totally frozen over. And then in the springtime. When the freshet hits and the Housatonic floods, it's an amazing sight. It's just the waterfall goes through there, thunders over, and it's got this nice panoramic view downstream, and um, you know the mist coming out of the out of off the falls. And you park at the parking lot, and it's just a short walk to this overlook, and it's like right on top of the falls, and it's just spectacular. So, how do you find these places, uh, Peter? I know in prep- preparing for this show, there's actually a website, ctwaterfalls.com, I believe, uh, by a, a local resident who's at, who makes a point to uh, feature, I think there's more than 60 waterfalls in the state of Connecticut? Yes, there's actually more than 100 now. Oh, okay. um, kind of keep discovering them. Um, but, I mean, they're just a lot of waterfalls, various um, sizes and plunges and you know, just the diversity of waterfalls in the state is, is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I use, like, websites, and um, Google Maps is a good good thing, you know. Kind of look at the state of Connecticut, and any splotches of green you find is, you know, usually a, um, a nature preserve or some kind of interest uh, land park and stuff like that. So that's kind of how I find it. Uh, Peter is the Hartford Current uh, reporter who writes uh, its nature column as we talk about waterfalls throughout our state. You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Um, is there a particular spot that you enjoy, uh, with whether it's you or your family? We want to hear from you again. Uh, just look for at Where We Live on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, when you we think about, um, you said that you look at a map, but um, as far as going from 60 to 100, uh, waterfalls that we know of today. Are there fellow hikers that are finding them? And I mean, I'm just curious about um, how uh, this it gets reported. Um, a lot of them are off the beaten path that are kind of being discovered now. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's strange how like word of mouth, you know, the internet is an amazing thing, you know, in terms of uh, Facebook posts. And you go on someone's Facebook post and you say, oh, I've never, I've never been to that waterfall. I've never seen that waterfall. And then, oh, where is it? And then you, you know, just kind of do research on the web and mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'll have to check it out. (laughs) Um, Some of our listeners might be wondering, why are we talking about waterfalls today? But with um, the way spring has started, it's actually a perfect time to be checking out places like Great Falls and Enders uh, as well. Right. You know, know, April showers bring Mayflowers, (laughs) but, uh, you know, they also bring some uh, pretty neat um, waterfalls being showcased this time of year. I mean, it's great when it's, uh, you know, spring is wet and and showers and snow melt and stuff like that. So you usually get the... uh, the waterfalls at their at their peak, but you know this is just a great time to go, especially Great Falls. I haven't been up there, but I can imagine it's it's roaring this time of year. And if you ever want to see that, then uh, now's the time of year to uh, go check that out. But. So we, again, uh, mention, mentioned uh, Enders Falls in Granby, also Great Falls in uh, the Falls Village section of Canaan. Uh, but if we were to travel, I guess, to, to Plymouth and Buttermilk Falls, uh, tell us about that particular one. Buttermilk Falls is uh, part of the Nature Conservancy. It's a property up there, and uh, that's a nice spot off a, off a dirt road, kind of off the beaten path. And what's neat about that is you, got, you have the main plunge, but if you walk farther along the trails, um, there's a bunch of smaller waterfalls, and so it's kind of a real neat showcase of waterfalls. It's not just the main plunge, but it's also 
you know, farther back and more trails. A lot of these places, it's not just the falls, but there's hiking hiking trails that go off off of it. And um, like Great Falls and Falls Village is all on the Appalachian Trail. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of neat. You can um, walk a portion of the Appalachian Trail and, you know, say you've, you've hiked the Appalachian Trail. You know, it's kind of <laughs> neat. Um, what would you say is, is it difficult to get to these particular falls? I mean, do you have to be uh, uh, physically fit and, uh, you know, feeling okay with certain types of, of, of trails that might be more rustic, Peter? Good question. The, um, most, some of the falls are right, the parking lot's right there, like Great Falls, parking lot's right there. Um, Wadsworth Falls, parking lot's right there. <laughs> um, Kent Falls, you know, you pull in and, you know, you're sitting in your car, you're staring at the falls. Um, but some falls, like Roaring, Roaring Brook Falls in Cheshire, it's a two-mile hike there. Um, Sages Falls in Salisbury, up again northwest corner of, of the state. Uh, you have to kind of work to get to, get to those falls, and um, you know that's part of the part of the lure of waterfalls is um, they're easy to access, and you know you don't have to be an avid hiker to uh, to uh, get out in nature and you know watch the beauty of nature. Uh, who are the people that you discover on these same trails, uh, Peter? Um, you mentioned you don't have to be an avid hiker, but do you see uh, local photographers and people that are looking to uh, capture the beauty of these falls? Definitely. Um, my Twitter feed is full of people who uh, who take pictures of waterfalls, and uh, it's just a natural thing to do. And um, I was actually at Wadsworth Falls the other morning, and it was um, the sun was coming up, and it, you know, it was it was high, it was running high, so there was mist coming off the waterfall, and um, the sun was shining through the hemlocks and kind of illuminating the uh, the mist of the waterfall, and it was just you know just it's just magical these waterfalls. Mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, Wadsworth Falls State Park. Uh, that's uh, I think of it as Middletown, but part of it is it Middlefield as well. Correct. The falls are actually in Middlefield. Um, the park is in in Middletown. But what's neat about that is there's not any Wadsworth Falls, but there's um, Little Falls and Big Falls um, farther in the in, in the park. So it's kind of neat. You have three three distinct beautiful waterfalls that, and people always think Wadsworth Falls and that's it and get in your car and go. But if you hike a little ways. Um, there's some really neat waterfalls in the in the state park. And what's great about that state park uh, are all the uh, many different trails uh, that you can take. Uh, again, in studio with me, Peter Martika, Hartford Current reporter who writes its nature column. You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter, uh, at Where We Live. Uh, when we were tweeting about this show the other day, Peter, uh, someone had um, requested that we talk about etiquette, the idea of you take out what you take in. And also, when I think about Wadsworth Falls State Park, there have had been some issues uh, in recent years with people waiting and leaving a lot of garbage, uh, the state having to respond. So um, what are your tips for people who want to enjoy the beauty of our state uh, without uh, ruining it for others? Right. You know, just um, stay back from the edges when you go to these places. Um, obviously, don't drink. Um, and if there's signs that say no swimming, then there's no swimming. Um, there's, there's places like Spruce Glen Falls and Naugatuck. Um, just outside Waterbury, where you where you can um, enjoy the falls, you can swim in the pools. But there's usually signs like a Wadsworth. There's a no swimming sign, um, but you know that obviously doesn't stop people from going into the into the water. Um, but you know, just stay back from the edge. Don't throw bottles in. You know, people people might like to wade in in the water, and you know, you don't want to step on glass or something like that.
We got a tweet from Kathy who writes, sometimes small waterfalls are beautiful too. Ours in Newtown, oh, I'm sorry, Newington rather, is on our town seal. Have you been to that one? I have been to that <laughs> one. Yeah, that's a that's a popular um, spot to photograph too. Um, just kind of, uh, you know, easy, easily accessible. And, you know, it's kind of one you have to, one that you have to see in high water because it, uh, it drains pretty fast and uh, becomes a trickle in the summertime. Have we talked yet about Campbell Falls in Norfolk? We haven't. Um, that's a nice spot. That's actually in Massachusetts. But the interesting thing about that is um, the man who donated the land to Connecticut um, donated the land to the waterfall to Massachusetts, too. Um, so it's kind of a dual kind of ownership of the waterfall. So it's Campbell Falls State Park in Connecticut, and you kind of wind wind through the woods and um, actually the, the um, one of the largest white pines in Connecticut is located in that park and it's just a spectacular park uh, just kind of this pine this big huge white pine grove um, these trails wind through there and lead to the falls and it's kind of neat there's all these um, it's right on the border so there's all these huge granite markers that say you know CT on one side and MA on the other so you're kind of weaving between the uh, state line and you, and you get to the falls and it's a really a spectacular falls. It's um, the falls kind of come out of this really old stone bridge and plunge over, and a really really neat falls. If you want to read more of the columns that uh, Peter Martika writes for the Hartford Current, we'll uh, tweet out a link uh, at where we live. Um, I had mentioned that when I moved to Connecticut, it was your columns that helped me discover the beauty of the state. So I thank you for that, Peter. Um, Sage's Ravine is another one I have yet to be, be uh, have visited, and that's in Salisbury. That's in Salisbury. It's um, a portion of it. The Appalachian Trail passes through there. Um, it's a, you kind of just pull off the side of the road, and then the, there's an unmarked trail that, that winds past the uh, waterfalls. And again, like Enders Falls, it's a, it's, um, a segment of five, five or six different waterfalls, you know, unique. So you get to um, the waterfall off the Appalachian Trail, and it's just this huge uh, 60-foot plunge, double plunge, and... Uh, surrounded all by hemlocks and forest land. So it's just really spectacular. You know, it's kind of like how you imagine waterfalls, like you're walking through the rainforest or something, and then, you know, you, you reach the end where the waterfall is, and, the, you know, the, the, the sun shines out on the waterfall, and you hear, like, this chorus of songs and, you know, just like this, oh, beautiful, beautiful spot. Mm. Uh, we've been, I think we've been talking, and the majority of them have been kind of in that northwest part of our state. But if we travel uh, a little further south uh, to Naugatuck State Forest and Beacon Falls, uh, tell us about the, the falls there, Peter. Yeah, those are Spruce, Spruce Brook Falls, another nice spot. Um, again, you have to kind of work for it, but um, the trails pass through through uh, a series of waterfalls again and with a larger waterfall at the end. And um, it, a lot of these places, this was right off the railroad track, so um, a lot of these, in the past, these places were train stops where people would, uh, you know, bring their picnic lunches and, you know, this is kind of the amusement park back before there were amusement parks to just go to uh, these beautiful waterfalls and spend the day, you know, swimming and watching the falls. Uh, but Roaring Brook Falls in Cheshire, it's the highest single-drop waterfall and two-mile hike to it, and um, again, it's just, you know, spectacular views from the top, and besides the waterfall, there's, always, there's a view, and and um, Westfield Falls, right in Middletown, it's the, I like to call it the uh, waterfalls you can see from, on your commute to, on 91 North, because it's... Oh, really? It's, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's uh, right on, right off the uh, highway, and you can, um, you can see it, the three plunges, uh, when, as you pass by, so 
I'm sure a lot of people have seen it, especially mm-hmm. in the wintertime when, it's, uh, when the trees aren't leafing out. Mm-hmm. I do have a question for Peter Martika, 860-275-7266. I understand that winter is actually one of your favorite times to visit waterfalls. It is, yeah, definitely, um, especially after a, a few days um, below zero or you know, a few nights below zero and really um, locking up the waterfalls. I like to say, I like to call it winter falling. Um, and uh, just uh, the formations that it makes from the water, like it's, we don't have really caves in Connecticut, but, you know, that's about as close as you're going to get to, you know, stalagmites and stalactites and, you know, these wonderful ice formations is uh, waterfalls in the wintertime. Peter Martika, again, is nature columnist for the Hartford Current. Uh, he's with us as we learn more about the many waterfalls in Connecticut. Peter mentioned earlier there are more than 100. Uh, they keep getting discovered. You can join our conversation. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk about how waterfalls form. New research is challenging what we learned in school. After the break, we'll hear about a lab experiment that led to the idea behind self-forming waterfalls. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. In studio with me is Peter Martika. As we learn about the many waterfalls in our state, which ones do you enjoy or are planning to visit? You can join us, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Larry is calling from Bloomfield. Larry, go ahead. Yeah, Peter, uh, I enjoy your columns on Sundays. I don't always have a chance to read them. So when are you coming out with a book, a compilation <laughs> of all your columns? And uh, my comment uh, is uh, uh, we can't forget to mention neighboring Bash Fish Falls in Massachusetts, right in the tri-state area. Have you been up there? It is definitely on my list. Um, yeah, it's, it's just right over the border. And uh, it's a, it's a, I've heard it's a special place. I've seen pictures of it, but I'm sure the photos don't do it justice. But, yeah, I need to get up there. It's, uh, it sounds spectacular. And what about that book question, Peter? <laughs> Uh, it's a question I get quite often, a lot, ton of emails, and uh, if I had done a book, uh, it'd be probably a bestseller by now. But um, uh, yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's definitely in, on my mind, and uh, uh, you know, I'd love to uh, have a compilation of my columns. You know, like I always tell people, you know, the work's done, and, you know, we just have to uh, maybe self-publish it or something like that. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it could be, be done, you know, segments like waterfall, seg- chapter on waterfalls and chapter on, you know, historic places and hikes and best views and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's it's kind of a no-brainer. Mm. You mentioned historic uh, sites. So when we think about the different uh, waterfalls and state parks, are there particular ones that we should be checking out, Peter? Um, so well, Wads- I said Wadsworth mm-hmm. Falls State Park. Um, there's Indian Leap um, State Park or um, in- Indian Leap in Norwich. Mm-hmm. It's a nice spot. Uh, with a, a history um, right in Norwich, outside Norwich, and um, that's a nice waterfall spot. Uh, like I said, Campbell Falls State Park, um, Inders Falls, um, which is actually State Forest, Inders mm-hmm. uh, State Forest, and the wa- waterfalls are there. Um, and then uh, Sean from Bristol is uh, with us. Uh, Sean, go ahead. Hi. Uh, my, my question is, you know, falls that are, are good to bring, you know, younger children to that, you know, maybe aren't too much of a hike to get to that that are kind of big enough to be, you know, awe-inspiring, I guess. 
Yeah, no, great question. I, like I said before, the Great Falls is a, is a nice spot, um, just a short hike from the parking area. Kent Falls, again, short fo- short hike from the parking area. Um, Buttermilk Falls, right there. And then, you know, to enjoy waterfalls, you can, you know, it's kind of timeless and ageless. Uh, and anyone from any age can, is, is, can enjoy waterfalls. You can join our conversation, uh, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Again, Peter Martika is a Hartford Current reporter who writes uh, its nature column. Uh, but we were also curious when we talk about uh, waterfalls, how they form. My next guest has studied the idea of self-forming waterfalls. Uh, joining us via Skype is Joel Scheingross, assistant professor of geosciences at the University of Nevada and lead author of a National Science Foundation-funded study on self-formed bedrock waterfalls. Joel, welcome to our show. Hi, thanks for having me. I understand the study was published in March in the scientific journal Nature, but before we get to the study, uh, just tell us again, uh, traditionally when scientists think about the formation of waterfalls, uh, what, have been, what have been some explanations? Yeah, the, the classic idea about how waterfalls form is that waterfalls form either when you have a change in rock type or some type of rock heterogeneity or a change in external forcing. So I'll give you two quick examples. Imagine you have a river that's running over hard rock upstream and weaker rock downstream. At that contact where the hard rock and the weak rock meets, you get faster erosion of the weak rock because it's weak than you do the hard rock. So you can make a vertical step that grows over time to form a waterfall. Another idea we can make waterfalls is a change in this external forcing. So long-term changes in climate or long-term changes in tectonics. For example, if you have a waterfall that crosses a fault and that fault starts moving at a different rate. So you have one side going up faster than it was before along that fault. You can again create a vertical step that becomes a waterfall. And and make no doubt, this happens in many places around the world, and it's been well established in the geological literature that you can form waterfalls this way for over a century. Hmm. When we think about uh, waterfalls and and how they're formed, also, you know, how are they used to uh, maybe think about the history of a particular landscape? Yeah, that's right. So if we go back to this idea that a waterfall forms, for example, when a fault starts moving faster, then the formation of that waterfall is, uh, it's like a chronometer. It's telling us the time when that water, uh, when that fault started to change its slip rate, change the rate at which it was moving. And what happens after you form many waterfalls in nature is that erosion at the waterfall causes them to retreat and erode upstream away from where they were originally formed. So when we go look at landscapes today, we might see several waterfalls crossing the same fault, um, or excuse me, several rivers crossing the same fault, all with waterfalls, perhaps, you know, hundreds of feet to a few miles upstream. And if we know something about the rate at which these waterfalls eroded and retreated upstream, then we can back calculate or invert for the timing when these tectonic forces um, that were causing um, this fault to move at a different rate happened. Uh, we mentioned this study about self-forming waterfalls. This is something that you uh, worked on um, at the California Institute of Technology as part of your PhD work. Uh, so you uh, and others uh, looked at how waterfalls might not just be formed by external forces. What did your study discover, Joel? Yeah, so 
um, you know, I got interested in this because I was I was really interested in trying to understand how waterfalls eroded uh, to get at this question where if waterfalls form from these external forces, we might be able to say something about the time when tectonics or climate changed in the past. And in doing this, we had this idea that that waterfalls might form on their own uh, through these internal feedbacks that you get just from the interaction of flowing water, moving sand and gravel in rivers, which are the primary agents of erosion. The sand and gravel bounces against the bedrock bed and produces abrasion, which causes erosion. And that changes the topography of the riverbed. And all of these processes can feed back on each other, it turns out, to form a waterfall. And we decided to test this uh, by basically building a, a large-scale river inside a warehouse where we could control the water discharge and the feed of gravel uh, and basically started this with just kind of a, a planar bed, a bed that looked like a sheet of glass. Mm -hmm. And we tilted this this bed of this river to about 11 degrees in the lab and we let water and gravel run down it and saw what happened in the absence of any forces, in the absence of changing discharge or changing the feed of gravel. And lo and behold, after a few hours, we started forming waterfalls. That's really interesting. I mean, how did you come up with uh, just the idea of thinking about uh, uh, trying to recreate a river in a, in a warehouse and, and the, the materials that you used? Yeah, so the the idea of trying to to take everything into the lab and, and make model rivers is, is well established in lots of fields of science, but also in the geosciences. People have been making model rivers going back to some pioneering work by G.K. Gilbert in the uh, early 1900s. So, so the idea of trying to take things into the lab wasn't really new. And what's great about going to the lab is, you know, this is a case where we thought, okay, waterfalls form on their own in the absence of other forces. Um, and that's really hard to test for in nature. When we go out in nature, we have rock type that's changing almost everywhere. We have some heterogeneities in the rock. And over the thousands of years that waterfalls typically form, we also have changes in climate and changes in tectonics. So it's really hard in nature to, to actually test this idea, can waterfalls form on their own? because something else is almost always happening. So then we said, okay, well, can we test it in the lab? And, and the real challenge to being able to test that in the lab is that, you know, you have to create waterfalls, in my case, on the timescale of a PhD, <laughs> and not over the thousands of years that it takes to create waterfalls in nature. And we're able to do that in the lab by, by taking advantage of two main things. The first is that instead of using uh, a real rock, you know, instead of filling our, our model river with granite or basalt or, or some other real rock, we filled it with a foam that's like the foam you would get if you went to a florist shop and, and saw that block of foam that a bunch of roses are stuck into. And the reason we did this is because the foam is much weaker than, um, than granite, basalt, or other rock that you might be familiar with, but it follows the same scaling of erosion as does rock but lets us speed things up about a thousand times faster.
Joel Shine. Oh, I'm sorry. Joel Shinegross is. Uh, I just wanted to update our listeners again on who you are, if they're just tuning in. Joel Shinegross via Skype, assistant professor of geosciences at the University of Nevada Reno, and lead author of a National Science Foundation-funded study uh, while he was a PhD student at the California Institute of Technology, looking at this idea of waterfalls that form on their own, uh, looking at uh, based on uh, a river's turbulence. Uh, you can join our conversation eight six zero two seven five seven two six six or find us on Facebook. Facebook and Twitter uh, at where we live. Uh, so your study uh, was published in Nature in the spring. Um, again, uh, I'm just curious what the reaction has been and what uh, more work needs to be done, Joel. Sure. Well, getting getting us uh, really a sense of the reaction from the scientific community will take some time. I think this is going to be a controversial idea, and it should be because we've we've shown that this can happen in one experiment but we haven't demonstrated it in a fully robust way across multiple experiments and uh, in, you know, in the field at natural waterfalls as well. But it's still a bit early to tell because the, the scientific discourse will get played out slowly as people digest the material and write their own responses. Um, so, you know, the, the feedback I've gotten so far has been positive, but we'll see. Uh, what- um, Oh, Joel, when we th- we were just talking earlier about just different types of waterfalls that people in Connecticut can visit in our state, uh, when we think about uh, waterfalls uh, that have uh, possibly formed on their own, is there a particular a characteristic or something that you see in waterfalls in California that might suggest that maybe uh, there might be a possibility they formed in this way and not the traditional sense of how waterfall has been known to form? Yeah, there are some things we think you can look for. Uh, this is actually part of future work that I'm starting up right now to to do more experiments and try to nail down this problem a little bit better. But our sense right now is that when you have this self-formation mechanism acting, that you should get not just one waterfall, but you should get several waterfalls that occur in series with somewhat uh, equal spacing between them. And that these waterfalls are not, they're not going to be your really tall, um, absolutely breathtaking waterfalls like Niagara Falls or Yosemite Falls or any any of these very large waterfalls. Instead, what you're going to see is a series of smaller waterfalls, you know, think things that are, you know, five feet to 20 feet, but that you see occurring closely spaced together. And that seems to be indicative of this kind of natural feedback mechanism. Uh, June is calling from East Hampton, and you can join our conversation, too, on where we live about waterfalls, 860-275-7266. Uh, June, what's your question? Yes. Um, I've traveled around the United States, and one of the waterfalls I always think about is the Yellowstone. Could you tell me how that was formed? Joel, go ahead. Yeah. So you're thinking, uh, is it, they call it the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone. Is that right? Yes. Uh-huh. Um, I have been there, but that was before I started working on waterfalls, and I, I haven't thought about it lately. You know, Yellowstone's an active volcanic uh, area, and there is lots of faulting around there. So that's one that I think would be due to these external forces, but I, I'd have to go do a little bit more research and, and look at it. In general, people haven't gone around to many waterfalls and attributed a mechanism of how they formed for most of them. although. For, uh, for Yellowstone, 
I believe that's known. It's just I don't know off the top of my head. Sorry. Mm. Uh, Jean, before we let you go, I, I understand you're not originally from Connecticut. Is this uh, something that you enjoy doing, the traveling around and checking out waterfalls and other uh, you know features of our state? Well, um, I um, even just in East Hampton here, like just driving home from from my job, I pass by like three little mini waterfalls, and I just um, just the whole um, area is full of hills and all these different water sources, and and even the rocks flowing through, you know, where the uh, waterfalls, the little tiny ones, are are just amazing to me. Just mm-hmm. really attract my attention very easily, but uh, our whole family grew up uh, scattered around South Dakota. My dad came from, and then during World War II, he met my mom in Illinois, and then we ended up in Indiana, but uh, we've always enjoyed our yearly uh, camping travel trips. <laughs> well, June, thank you uh, for your call. Uh, this is where we live. In studio with me is Peter Martika, uh, who writes the Nature column for the Hartford Current. Uh, Peter, we were talking specifically about Connecticut waterfalls, uh, but we've uh, uh, heard Joel mention uh, waterfalls uh, in uh, different parts of the country. Uh, is this something that you have also experienced when you're traveling around? You're seeking out uh, places uh, that are just as beautiful as uh, some of the smaller falls that we might have here. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, like whenever I travel to New York State, I make it a point to uh, stop at waterfalls um, I see on the map or see online, and it's a real neat, real neat thing. But I uh, just, you know, just to get back to the waterfalls in the state, it's, you know, I find it, a, it, it amazing that you have these waterfalls that, you know, the New England landscape has changed over the years, but waterfalls have pretty much been the same since Native American times. So it, I just find it fascinating that you're, you know, you're standing and viewing something that's been viewed over hundreds of generations and, you know, Native American Indians up to the present and it's, you know, hasn't changed much. And another neat feature of the waterfalls are potholes where um, a piece of rock gets trapped in the, in the waterfall and the current over the years, it makes these little drill holes and, you know, almost these perfectly symmetrical shapes uh, in the waterfall, uh, in the rock around the waterfall. It's just really neat. Joel Scheingross is also with us via Skype, assistant professor of geosciences at the University of Nevada, Reno. Uh, we were learning about a study uh, looking at this idea of self-forming waterfalls. Uh, Joel, I know you're over on the western side of our country, uh, but are there particular waterfalls maybe in the, in the Finger Lakes region uh, in New York that might have characteristics of these uh, typical like uh, self-forming waterfalls? Yeah, you know, I was I was just talking about this the other day, and that that's a tough one because um, I was thinking about Watkin, uh, Watkin Glen State Park, which has this beautiful series of waterfalls and some small plunge pools uh, that you can see from an easy hiking trail. And this matches this characteristic that I was talking about, that you have multiple waterfalls that are sort of evenly spaced and they're not super tall. So they seem like they match this self-forming mechanism. Um, but they're also in this layered sedimentary rock, this layered sandstone and mudstone. So you do have these differences in rock strength that are um, between the different rock units that the waterfalls could also form on. So in that case, it's, it's a bit hard to say, but my my gut instinct is that they, they might be uh, an example of this self-formation mechanism. Well, Joel Scheingross, again, thank you for speaking with us for a little bit about uh, this study in nature. We're going to tweet out some links for our listeners to learn more about uh, this uh, study that you worked on with your colleagues. Uh, Joel Scheingross, again, Assistant Professor of Geosciences at the University of Nevada, Reno. Joel, thanks so much. 
Thank you. I just wanted to mention a uh, Colin from Litchfield called in to let us know that Ender's Falls in Granby's uh, currently under construction and looks like it's uh, partially closed. And then Rob on Twitter writes, Roxbury Falls in Roxbury, Connecticut is more of a rapids than a waterfall. But uh, he says it's still a great place for wading in the summer. And there are pockets where the water acts like a hydro massage. That sounds uh, pretty good, Peter Martika. <laughs> no, yeah, that's a good point about Ender's Falls. The uh, State Department of Energy Environmental Protection. There, they've been over the winter. They've been working on a series of platforms that'll make the waterfalls uh, safer um, to view. Kind of like Kent Falls, where there's a st- series of stairs and um, platforms where you know kind of prevents people from getting too close to the edge. Because uh, Ender's Falls is a, is a spot where uh, several people have gotten seriously hurt from you know trying to go over the edge too far or looking over the edge or you know going into the water and trying to look over the edge and getting caught by the current. So, um, yeah, no, that, that work should be done um, fairly soon. So hopefully it'll be open for the summer. And before we let you go, Aaron on Facebook wants to know if you have a separate Facebook page uh, for your columns over the years. You said 21 years writing the Nature column for the Hartford Current. Yes. Yeah, so about the past uh, three or four years, I've, I've been posting them on Facebook. Um, I have my own page, um, kind of just... Type in Peter Martika, Nature Writer, and uh, the page will come up. And like I said, you can scroll down, and there's quite a few uh, columns I've done over the past probably three or four years mm-hmm. in, in there. And you can always, you know, Google my name, Peter Martika Waterfalls, and you'll have more information than you can ever use. <laughs> <laughs> and catch your column in the Sunday edition of the Hartford Current. Right. It comes out Friday online at noon and then in print on Sunday. Well, Peter Martika, it was a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks for coming in. And when you get that book uh, published, I hope you come back. <laughs> I will let you know. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Uh, coming up, the nation's largest celebration of trails happens right here in Connecticut. Claire Kane of the Connecticut Park and Forest Association will join us right after the break. And you can, too, 860-275-7266. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Uh, Two recent police shootings in Connecticut highlight once again tensions between police and the public. And as lawmakers debate ways to hold police accountable, residents are wrestling with trusting law enforcement. What issues need to be addressed to mend relationships and build stronger communities? You can join Where We Live as we host a conversation with community members at the Arroyo Recreation Center at Pope Park in Hartford. That's next Wednesday, May 8th. You can have more information at our Where We Live Facebook page or go to WMPR.org, and we hope you can make it. Uh, today, we've been talking about uh, recreation in our state, specifically uh, checking out the, the many waterfalls uh, in uh, Connecticut. But also, there is a big celebration of, of trails in the state of Connecticut. Uh, Claire Kane is with us. She's Trail Stewardship Director of the Connecticut Forest and Park Association to tell us more. Claire, welcome to our show. Thank you, Lucy. I'm happy to be here. So the Trails Day events uh, are a little bit away, June 1st and 2nd, but now we've given our listeners time to plan. I understand. I didn't realize it was the largest in the nation. It is, yes. So Trails Day, National Trails Day, started about 26 years ago. And right off the bat, um, Connecticut was on board with getting people outside and participating in this event. And over the years in Connecticut, it's just grown like wildfire. It's incredible. We have over 240 events planned this year in Connecticut, and they are scattered all over the state, and they're a great opportunity to get out, 
see some of the waterfalls we've been talking about today, but also to explore some really incredible trails and um, go out with a guide. Mm -hmm. So you can go out for the first time with an experienced uh, hiker, leader, that'll show you some of the great places to visit. And that's important uh, because uh, sometimes the blazes on the trails aren't as uh, uh, easily seen, and it might be easy to venture off uh, the trail. So it's great that there are people there to help. We only have 10 minutes, but I'm wondering, uh, Claire, if you could walk us through some specific uh, trails that are going to be featured uh, on this day. Sure. So like I said, there are events happening all over the state, and there are really all different kinds of events So whether you're an experienced hiker, if you're a young family, if you're into boating, if you like biking, there's really a whole variety to choose from. And that's what makes this event so special because there really is something for everyone. Um, So we have events that range the whole gamut. Uh, Some of the more interesting ones that I can point out are in Bolton, they're going to have an event um, on the Hop River Trail where they will be shuttling folks around on the trail and using bike rickshaws to uh, to get people out and enjoy the trail in a new and different way. And I thought that was really creative. We also have a, a forest bathing event uh, on a trail in Middlefield, which is a great opportunity to get out with um, someone to help you reconnect mm-hmm. with the natural world and do it in a very spiritual way. And that's a, that, that stems from Japan, the idea of forest bathing? You that's right, that? yeah, mm-hmm. and, and reconnecting with um, yourself and the place that you're in. And so doing that in kind of a guided environment uh, mm-hmm. is really pretty cool. There's also a number of paddling events. Um, down on the Lieutenant River, we have uh, two great leaders who regularly lead an event down there and take folks uh, out on a kayaking trip. And they know all the great spots to point out where the osprey nests are and um, you know look for wildlife. So that's really the benefit of going with a guide because they really know these places and can share their knowledge of the local history, geology, and what's going on in the natural mm-hmm. world there. We heard from a caller earlier who asked uh, Peter Martika about um, some uh, waterfalls that uh, you can take uh, children to. And so Mm -hmm. I'm curious, of all these different trails that we have in our state, what are some that you would recommend that are easy for children to do so, you know, the parents aren't left, you know, carrying them the last couple of miles? (laughs) Well, that's what's so great about um, this booklet. And at ctwoodlands.org, we have an interactive site uh, with all of these events. And you can sort the events on ones that are family-friendly. Um, So you can really narrow down and choose one that might be near you, that might be well-suited to kids. Uh, Out at the White Memorial Conservation Center in Litchfield, they regularly do an amphibian amble, which is uh, led by one of their staff folks. And it's always a lot of fun. They have great photos and stories to tell after their event. Um, super family and kid-friendly, and it's a lot of fun because they spend some time really getting their hands dirty and looking for little critters in the water. So you mentioned the website ctwoodlands.org. I have a little booklet for the Trails Day celebration, but if they go to this website, they'll also listeners can see all of the different uh, activities for June 1st and 2nd. That's right. And these booklets um, that we produce, they're available in all the public libraries and town halls. They should be getting there within the next few days. So they're available to everyone. Um, but also the the website is important because it has the latest and greatest information and you can get driving directions and sign up for an event so the leader will know that you're coming. 
Claire Kane again is Trail Stewardship Director uh, with the Connecticut Forest and Park Association as we talk about Trails Day happening in the state of Connecticut June 1st and 2nd. You know, I'm curious if we could talk a, a little bit about uh, safety. Uh, we heard uh, Peter mention uh, some of the falls, like Ender's Falls. If people aren't careful, there have been injuries. And so I'm wondering for people who may be new to uh, checking out these trails through the state of Connecticut, uh, what are some tips that you can give them? Sure. So if you're getting out on the trail for the first time, uh, a few very basic things you can do to have a safe and fun trip. Um, wear sturdy shoes. Bring water and extra snacks. Bring a backpack so you can carry your stuff with you. Um, you know, everyone has a phone these days and, you know, taking technology into the woods is a little funny, but it's a great way to take some pictures. Um, and if you run into any trouble, you have a, kind of a safety net behind you. Um, you know, it's important to let people know where you're going, if you're, especially if you're not on a guided trip. Um, if you're out in the woods and you're taking a longer trip than maybe you usually would, it's good to let people know where you are and what you're doing. But Trails Day is great because you can do all of these things with someone who's very experienced and will remind you when you get to the trailhead to stay together as a group, to be really mindful of the place that you're visiting, to leave no trace, take an extra garbage bag. I always carry one in my backpack just to pick up some litter and trash on the way out to be a good trail citizen um, and leave these places really better and more beautiful than, than when you arrived. Mm. And pick up after your dog. That's right. That too. <laughs> Uh, Claire Kane, again, uh, uh, is here with us from the Connecticut Forest and Park Association. Uh, we mentioned, uh, you know, things to do uh, to take with you. Uh, certain parts of our state see more bear activity. And so in that sense, uh, what should uh, hikers and residents be thinking about? Sure. So it's important to be mindful when you're out there to be aware of your surroundings. Um, you know, traveling with a partner so that you're out in the woods with someone else, making some noise as you go. Uh, letting the local wildlife know that, that you're coming through uh, is important. If you're someone who enjoys the solo hiking experience and, and being out there on your own and moving quietly through the woods, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, if you see a wild animal, just be very respectful. We don't want to get too close. We don't want to, you know, get that selfie with, uh, <laughs> with the local bear. That's not really what we're going for. Um, but to just be, you know, extra uh, aware Take the time to be thoughtful and plan your trip appropriately um, and respect all of the, the wildlife that are out there. Mm. Uh, so many trails to enjoy. Claire, who are the people maintaining these trails? Well, it's all different groups. Um, our organization is a nonprofit, and we have hundreds of volunteers who are out doing stewardship on the Blue Blaze hiking trail system. Land trust, municipalities, um, all have volunteers partners who are out there working really hard to make these incredible resources available to everyone. Um, so thank your local trail stewards and trail managers. They're doing great work. And a lot of this work, um, you know, may go unnoticed. You go out on a trail, you have a great experience, you come back, and you don't think that a lot of time and energy went into keeping these trails really open uh, to the public. Mm. Craig on Facebook uh, writes, my girlfriend walks with the use of crutches. Do you have recommendations, uh, Claire, for trails that might be easier for individuals with disabilities, maybe um, more flatter trails, uh, and maybe that don't require as much walking, but you still get that scenic vista? Sure. So I can recommend, um, actually, we, there's a Trails Day event down there in the Patchog State Forest. There's the Rhododendron Sanctuary Trail, which is a, a very flat, short trail. It's handicap accessible. 
Um, there's a nice view viewing platform on the trail. Uh, not too long of a hike, um, but you get some reward from being out there. And the beautiful red- rhododendrons, of course, are a, a reward in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, in Middlefield, behind the CFPA office, we actually have a short discovery loop uh, that's also handicap accessible. A great way to get out and and see some of the local environment back there, vernal pools and and uh, some of the native trees back there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there are a lot of opportunities. Um, rail trails are also a great uh, way to get out. Generally flat, easy to access, mm-hmm. um, and a, yeah, there's a great one I think in East Hampton. Yes, yes, that's right, the the airline trail. Now, Claire, we just have a couple of minutes left. Uh, I I mentioned you're with the Connecticut Forest and Park Association. Uh, Greg Ladke from The Current reported the other day that uh, state Democrats are looking to take some uh, money away from this Passport to Parks uh, funding and program uh, that uh, would allow, uh, you know, to deal with some of the budget issues. But it can take uh, money away for specifically for park purposes, which was the intent of the program. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because you're affiliated with the association. I'm wondering what you can say about this proposal that's out there. Yeah, Lucy, we are, you know, very much opposed to to undoing this pledge that this um, that this funding source has been able to provide to the parks of Connecticut. Um, we very much want to see this dedicated funding uh, continue to go to the state, so we can have seasonal staff. Our parks can remain clean. We can keep these places open. Uh, for everybody to enjoy. And if we start unraveling that, um, it's hard to pull it back together. So we very much want to see the passport to the par- passport to the parks remain um, just as it is. Well, Claire Kane, again, is Trail Stewardship Director with the Connecticut Forest and Park Association, here with us to talk about Connecticut Trails Day coming up June 1st and 2nd. We'll have information on our website, wmpr.org slash where we live. Claire, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Lucy. Also, uh, we want to thank Peter Martika again uh, for coming in and giving us a lot of great ideas uh, to head out. Uh, once, And even if it's raining, uh, you might see some great falls around the state of Connecticut. Today's show produced by Scott Breedy. Thanks to Lydia Brown and Kion Wolf. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. As always, thanks for listening.